Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So um, as we shared um, at the end of the service, if you're interested, and in, uh, we're going to be training a whole new set of Stephen ministers uh, this fall, and if you're interested in talking to someone about that, Missy and some of her leaders will be back there at the Connect area at the end of the service, so consider that. Um, before we get started, I feel like, you know, uh, with the shootings that happened yesterday in El Paso and in, in Ohio, I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like we should just pray for those families. So would you just bow your heads as we... Um, just pray. Dear Lord, I, um, our hearts are heavy this morning with the lives that were lost yesterday in El Paso and Ohio. And um, Lord, as we know um, your presence in our lives, we know there is another presence in this society and in our culture, uh, an evil and a darkness that wants to kill, destroy, and rob. And Lord, we know we are confronted with that in our society every day. But we're glad, Lord, that you are bigger, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so we hold on to that today. We pray for the families that have lost loved ones yesterday, that you would comfort them as only you can. Lord, and that somehow, some way, um, Lord, they'll be drawn closer to you during this time. And we just pray for churches and ministries in Ohio and El Paso, Lord, that they can just surround that community with the love and care and um, Lord, again, we don't understand why things happen like this, but through it all, we trust you um, that all things somehow, some way can work together for good. And so we just pray again for these families and just thank you, Lord, that you're there. You never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I shared last week, about six months ago, um, I went to a fundraiser. My son-in-law was doing a fundraiser at his uh, car dealership in Plano, and um, Uh, It was, uh, Dak Prescott was there because if you know Dak's story, he grew up in a single mom's home. And so he was the main speaker. But while I was there, I got to meet a guy that had just started a ministry um, for single parents. And so we just kind of got talking and and began to just talk through some things. And I'm excited that um, we have him here today to speak and to share his story. So would you give a warm hillside welcome to Robert Beeson as he comes forward here. Thank you. It's an honor to be here today. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, Robert came in last night, and um, Robert lives in Nashville. And um, so he came in last night and really spent some time with our leadership team and some things we'll share about that today. But um, it's kind of neat. We saw your video. We watched a little bit of that last week about a little bit of your journey in the Solo Parent Society. Um, But you shared some statistics that were pretty amazing in that you shared like um, one... uh, one of every three households now are, are solo or single parents. Yeah, it's remarkable. Thirty, According to the census, 34% of the households in America right now are single-parented homes. Wow. And how do you feel like, I, you shared a statistic about the church and how involved they are in the church, and share that a little bit. Yeah, what's alarming, there was a study done a few years ago to, to ask single parents how many of them participated in local church, and 67% of single parents in America say that they don't attend church because they feel judged and they feel like they don't belong. And so they, they do it alone. They're not involved in any congregation. So we're gonna, Robert's gonna share a little bit about his journey uh, becoming a single parent. But you wrote a book, and we're gonna talk a little bit about this, but you entitled it 
going solo. And you, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the solo parent society that you've kind of started, but why using the word solo rather than single parent? I'm glad. It's an important distinction. You know, with um, over a third of our population uh, housewise, home-wise, being single parents, I think we've become desensitized and we've kind of normalized the fact that there are so many single parents because we've become so used to it. It's almost like a status that you would check off on some kind of form along with, you know, race or gender or whatever. And um, I really wanted to bring attention to the fact that it is not normal. This is not the way God intended homes to be. Um, And we have become, like I said, desensitized to the gravity of this season. And so in my mind, I see single parent as, as being a status. I see solo parent as being a condition. It's a condition of hearts, it's a condition of homes, and it's a condition that we as a church are called to care for. So I wanted to kind of put a flag in the ground and say, look, we need to start looking at this differently. Yeah. So share a little bit about your story, Robert, and your upbringing and um, just your marriage and everything like that. So yeah. share a little bit of your background. So I was, I was born in California, but I moved over to South Africa when I was six years old. My parents were missionaries. And... Um, it was, it was an amazing time. I was there for 10 years, and in that period of time, I just got to know, uh, I went to a boarding school for part of it and had fast friends there, but something happened with my parents where uh, we were asked to leave, and it was, I was going into my senior year of high school, and I'd been at a boarding school, you know, with, it, was, it wasn't like Harry Potter, I mean, we didn't have wands, but it was yeah. kind of, <laughs> okay. but it was kind of like that, where you become like a family with everybody, and so... I remember the day my mom drove the eight hours from our house to the school, and she never did that. And she said, I need to tell you something. Um, We've had some marital problems, and your dad is already back in America, and we're going to be leaving in the next three weeks. And so it was... It was devastating to me to, to have your entire childhood growing through school with all these friends and, and then to, to be kind of ripped out of that and put back in a country I didn't know. I became fiercely independent. I told myself, you know, silently, I don't think I actually thought this, but what I've learned now is I was like, I'm not going to be dependent on anyone again because I can't trust anybody but myself. And so that drove me into being a very ambitious kid. I was... Um, is in Southern California, and there was Christian rock bands everywhere. And there was this one conversation this guy had. He was like, "Do you sing?" I'm like, mm, "Kind of." He's like, "Do you want to be our lead singer in our band?" Because we, I'm like, <laughs> okay, that sounds like fun. So I got involved in Christian music through being in a band, but at the same time, I was in marketing and um, and the business side of things. And so that grew into music marketing, which eventually grew into starting a label, a record label, in Southern California, focused on Christian music. And uh, I, I did it by default. Like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was ill-prepared for it. And I eventually ended up going, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. So I sold the company to a company back in Nashville. And they moved me back to Nashville to run the label. Um, so fast forward, you know, we spent some time looking at the market and figuring out what we thought was the most advantageous thing to do. And we thought about um, youth music. At the time, Christian music hadn't been, like, really prominent dealing with the youth. And so I... Essential Records is the label I, I focused on. We started doing that. And the first band that I signed after moving to Nashville was called Jars of Clay. And um, they became enormously successful. And that, you know, it created suction and brought other bands to us. And, and then we had a long string of, like, really influential and great artists, like 
third day in Cademan's call, and then eventually I took over the role of, we started buying other companies, and I took over the role of developing all the artists for multiple labels, and so I started working with Michael W. Smith, and then I did Casting Crown's first record. And so I'm saying all that not to impress you, but to impress upon you that like it was, I was seduced by the music business. I was a Christian. I followed Jesus. I believe that I would have gone to heaven if I would have passed, but um, I don't know that my heart was fully engaged with it because I, you know, here's a, a kid that grew up in Africa, literally in the middle of Zulu tribes and then at a boarding school, thrust within a fairly short amount of time back into America into the, the music industry. And all of a sudden, like it seemed like overnight, there were gold and platinum records. You know, we won five Grammys and 13 Grammy nominations. And so you were just like, I was just seduced by the sexiness of the music industry and all that, that, that came with it, even though it was Christian music. And that had its toll. And it had its toll, yeah. Um, and I, let me say a disclaimer, not everybody in Christian music is like this. This is just my box, that, to use your illustration from last. That was my baggage that I brought to, to the party. And that was not a good foundation for a marriage because in that amount of time, in that season, I met a girl and we married three months later, which I wouldn't recommend if any of you have just started dating someone. Not a good foundation either, but I was so consumed with the industry and what we were doing that from the outside, you could say I was a good family man because I'd show up at dinner and I provided for my family. I took them on vacations. We had a lavish lifestyle, um, but my heart wasn't completely engaged. I wasn't completely present. And so in that period of time, we had three daughters, Zoe, Skylar, and Zara. And um, after about 13 years of marriage, my, my wife in a counseling session said, look, you've had your fun. I'm, I, I, it's time that I have mine. Because what had happened in my life, I, there were three things that God used to get my attention. First one being 9-11, and just feeling completely out of control. Then a, a friend of mine was playing soccer, and he fell and died at a regular soccer game. Just fell wrong. Um, and the third one is that you know, I, I made a big mistake and uh, did something that was, I mean, it wasn't like having an affair or anything like that, but you, you can read about it in the book. I'm pretty explicit. But I just realized that I had pursued being self-sufficient and not depending on anyone else. And I realized that the people, you know, the 9-11 folks, and my friend Grant who died, we are not in control. And so I, God started bringing me back to a dependency on him. My wife didn't believe it because she had seen the lavishness that I was living and, and she decided she wanted to, to have her own fun. And unfortunately, she had the the wrong gene at the wrong time. The addiction ran in her family and she got caught up with prescription drugs and no matter how much we tried, um, we went through three rehabs and we even renewed our vows in Rome and at Basilica. Uh, there was a morning in 2006 where I woke up. I had moved to the upstairs bedroom. I came downstairs and I can remember looking at the door to our master bedroom when it was open and um, I just knew, even though we'd had problems and you know there were times that she didn't come home at night, I knew that somehow this was it. And I also knew that within a few minutes, my little girls, three girls, nine, seven, and four at the time, were going to come downstairs and say, where's mommy? Yeah, and you talk about that in your book. And um, share how you handled that that morning when you knew that. It was different. You know, I I can only compare it to the same feeling of, and pardon me because I'm not a woman, but when you have a sonogram and you're pregnant, you can see that there's a baby in there. But nothing compares to when you're actually holding that baby. It's the same kind of feeling that I had just knowing that she was gone. There was a whole new, like, normal that was about to take place. 
And so I had to very quickly go, okay, I can't continue to excuse. Well, mommy will be home later. She just had to do something. Because, you know, if you live with an addict, a lot of times you're trying to cover up so that the other parent doesn't look bad. I knew I couldn't do that. I just knew that there was something different about this. And so when the girls came down, we gathered in the living room, and um, I just said, girls, you know, I... This is, going to be, this is going to be a hard season. You know mom and I have had a hard time and you've seen more than you should. But um, she's gone. I'm not really sure where she is because she didn't leave a note. She didn't, there was no communication. She was just gone. I said, I'm sure she's safe, but um, your mom's gone and I don't know where she is. I'm not worried about her safety, but I think this is the beginning of something new. And what you need, all you need to hear from me is that I'm here. We're going to be okay. We're still a family. And we're going we're gonna to figure this out. But, and that was amazing because it, it was heartbreaking. But I felt like I was able to just be honest and, and go, okay, this is broken. How did they take that, Robert, your three girls? They, you know, it was remarkable. They, they said, Dad, we know. We'll, we'll be okay. And, you know, they, it was, there were tears. But I found that just reassuring that we are still family and we're going to be okay. They, they had trusted that. Because we had gone through a few years of it. You know, I was raising them and also kind of corralling an addict. And so I had done a lot of the primary parenting during that season. So that prepared us, but nothing completely prepares you for, you know, having to face that. Yeah. So what, um, like those early days, now you're a, a solo parent with yeah. three daughters. What, what were those early days like? How, how did you manage that? It was overwhelming. If there's single moms or dads here, you know. I mean, it's like you are everything from a chef to a counselor to a referee to a hairdresser. Every morning was just chaotic, you know, trying to get them out the door to school and, and then realizing, oh, there was a note that you were supposed to sign. You get a call from the school and, you, you know, you're trying to work. Because at the same time, I was starting a new business. Three months before my wife left, I had um, my contract was up with Sony and I decided to start again. So, you know, I had no job raising kids on my own and, and trying to start a new endeavor. It was absolutely chaotic. And um, there's not enough of you, you know, there's, it's like keeping all the balls in the air and you know that there's, there's no way that you can do it. You just do the best that you can. So it was, it was very difficult. And I know you shared, it was cool in the book about you began to try to develop, a, I mean, there's no routine, routine in the summer. We all know that. We're living that right now with yeah. kids. But um, when school, you really tried to develop a routine. And you talked about a time of your day that you really tried to set aside. We talked about this two weeks ago and uh, getting time to, to mm-hmm. really uh, re- revitalize ourselves. But you tried to put that, even with the chaos going on, you tried to put that in your chair a little bit. It's about so that. important. Um, meditation. I, I would put myself in what I call timeout. I would tell the girls, dad's putting himself in timeout. You know, like I would put them in timeout from time to time, but I'm going to put myself in timeout. And I would go into my room. And um, I call it pushing pause in the book. And I would lay on the floor and I would just focus on my breathing. And I would just quiet my mind, be still and know that I'm God. Took on a whole new meaning at that point. And I, every day, without fail, I chose to do this and just be still. I didn't read a devotional. I didn't say a big, long prayer. I just said, God, please meet me here. I'm here and I, I just, I need you. I, I need you. And without fail, every time, it's not like this, you know, the skies parted and he came down and like made my bed for me. Um, it was, but there was an anchoring that happened. And I have to say that I started to understand and know God. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So it was a major part of getting me through those days. The chaos is pushing pause and putting myself in time out. And, you know, I talk about this in the book, too. There's been, there's been science that backs this up. Uh, a Harvard neuroscientist, uh, Sarah Lazar, uh, talks about how they studied the brain, how meditation, just a simple meditation, actually, actually changes the composite of your brain, and the changes are permanent. And, and related to how you deal with stress and change and that kind of thing, there is something very healing about that. And so that became a primary part of my day. And you talk in your book about how your faith yeah. really grew during a pretty tough time in your... A hundred percent. It turned around. You know, we go through life as adults kind of becoming the roles that we play, whether you're an executive, a creative, a mom, a school teacher, a plumber, whatever. And and we just start assuming those that, that is our identity. I mean, it happened for me. I was a successful music executive. My wife was a stay-at-home mom, and I, you know, that... And when those things are stripped away and you realize you're no longer those roles you played, I didn't have a job, I was just a parent at home and starting again, you're forced to be in this place of being broken. And I used to look at being broken as something that I ran from, but in this season, I embraced it. And that was the beginning of intimacy with my father. When you understand that the reason he came, the reason we have this hole in our heart is because we are dependent, we are broken. And only him and his presence can bring restoration and healing. And we say that intellectually. Um, I said that all my life. I developed many artists that would say it from stage, but I hadn't encountered it. And so my, my spiritual life was turned upside down during that season. Um, and I found that it, was, it transformed who I was and that's what led me into not only writing the book, but starting the nonprofit to um, help single parents realize that this isn't just a, a time to sit and be in a penalty box until you can come back and play with the rest of the people. Um, this is an opportunity to grow in your faith, to be transformed. And so on the other side, if you ever get married again, you are in such a different place. It is such a, it's such a really good opportunity to encounter something that I never would have encountered had I not gone through it. I don't, rec- I don't recommend getting divorced. I don't want that for anybody. It's, it's terrible. It's hard. But in our brokenness, God reveals his power. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. Um, in your book, you share, you know, you talked about the different hats you had to put on as yeah. a solo parent. You're, you know, a, uh, a chef, a, you know, counselor, a, you know, a referee. But you shared one about um, being a beautician. And you actually took on a, a role or had a... You know. Yeah, you know, I, it, I'm a guy, and I had three girls, and I had 100%, like, full custody, 100% of the time. And so as my girls got older, they would need their hair highlighted or whatever, and I don't know anything. I mean, I hardly have hair, so it's not <laughs> like it's... I'm not an expert. Um, and so I just thought, well, I'm just going to jump into it. And so I created a, this, in my mind, I would... this person named Jean Marco who was like this French like wee oui, wee oui, like this is fabulous we put it you know and and I know that my girls thought I was absolutely nuts but I I'm like if you want your hair done you're gonna have to have Jean Marco do it you don't address me <laughs> yeah. as dad you're gonna have to have I have Jean three Marco. daughters I have three daughters I've done some so, of that crazy stuff Barbie that, and <laughs> teaching my daughter how to do a pirouette I mean yeah. some crazy things we do. do weird things yeah yeah that's pretty cool though but that's neat I think taking that role and and making it I fun I think it's important yeah, and I even saw, you know, in your video, you show making pizza with the girls and, and um, you know, trying to 
bring some normalcy to your daily life. Stability is really the thing that we lack as single parents. And, and so if you, can, if you can create things in your life that are habits or routines that the, the kids can count on, it's really important to help stabilize things. And they can be small things. They can be things like writing a, a note and putting in a school lunch. I, I started a habit of every Sunday night I washed my daughter's feet. Some would call it a pedicure, um, but I went to an Anglican church and Monday, Thursday service was where, you know, we washed each other's feet. And so every Sunday night they would get in the bathroom and I would have a basin of water and I would wash their little feet and pray a blessing over each one of them. Those kinds of things are simple, but they, they have a way of helping stabilize in a home as well as create memories because we are so rushed to go through our, our days. And as single parents, like double what you do as a, as a married nuclear family. And so just finding those things that you can anchor point in your life was important for us. And I think you shared in your book about the importance of, um, you developed some real strong community in your life. Some guys and even some ladies that were, you know, share a little bit how important that. Yeah, I I had some friends that were involved in something called Samson Society, which is kind of the model of what um, solo parent society has become from a group standpoint. Uh, men that would just get together every week and, and not try to fix each other, not do a Bible study, but just confess, share, like, this is where I'm at. And I found that to be so important to be known by a group of other men. Um, and I had some women that were remarkable that stepped up. And, and so I, I definitely felt like I was alone, especially at, at night when, you know, but... I, I, there were people that I could count on. And the importance of community is so vital because as single parents, we want to isolate. It's, it's so hard. You know, I was talking to someone after the last service in the lobby. If you go through a divorce, you're, you're typically tied in. You're divorcing not just the person or getting divorced from the person, but the friend group, the church social network, the neighbors, like all that you stop getting invited to some of those things. Or you stop inviting yourself. You start pulling back because you feel like you don't fit anymore. And that's what we're trying to do as solo parent society is flip that and say, okay, you know, there's a lot, if 34% of the U.S. homes are single parent homes, there's a lot of people that need to meet each other and come together and process through life. And so it saved me. Pausing and, and getting into community were vital for me. Yeah. And so that's really what kind of has initiated you starting this solo parent society. And yeah. I guess it's only been 18 months where you started one in your home church in Franklin, right? Yeah. We started, it was, it was an idea that had been floating around. I had been working on the book. I had a blog that I had put out and it was before Focus on the Family put out the book, but I thought, I went to our pastor and said, let me, can I try something just offering a support group for single parents to come together? We'll process through things together, topics, but also just be community. And they, they were like, yeah, let's try that. We were at capacity within the first week and we never mentioned it from the pulpit. And it's been going on, you know, for almost 24 months now. And so we saw that the need was great. And that has grown now to, we're in 16 different states. We're now in the U.S. military as well and getting into corporations. So it's been incredible to watch single parents find each other and people that wouldn't have known each other if not for a church going, let's create an opportunity for that to happen. Yeah, you shared um, military-wise, you were just in Fort Bragg this past week. Yeah, I was in Fort Bragg on Thursday and meeting with military leaders and and they are expanding. There's a number of programs called Strong Bonds and then there's a family life program. So they're starting groups within the military 
Um, and then they have hooked me up with, um, they are uplining it to the Pentagon for me to be able to talk to the chief of chaplains about creating a larger program for all of the military. Um, one of the guys that is leading SOCOM, which is the special operations, which is based in Florida. These are Navy, Navy uh, SEALs and Navy military, I mean, Army. He's going to be over that whole, he's the chaplain for all that. So it's spreading into multiple layers of the military. And then the next day, I was at the headquarters of Coca-Cola, and they have been a nonprofit partner with us in supporting us, but they are now going to pilot a program in the corporation to offer for single parents. So God has just been all over this and expanding it beyond what I could possibly have designed or imagined. Yeah. So share a little bit about the purpose of the Solo Parent Society. What, what, what's the purpose of it? What's the environment? Yeah. We're going to start offering it here on Wednesday nights yes. during our Wednesday night program, but explain a little bit about that. So the other statistic that is frightening is... Um, 63% of suicides in America, 75% of uh, chemical-dependent kids, 85% of incarcerated kids come from single-parent homes. That's why we need to wake up as a culture and go, we treat suicide prevention, we treat drug awareness, but let's get to the source of some of these issues. And so what we're trying to do with Solo Parent Society is help single parents raise healthy kids. And the way we do that is caring for the single parent. And so we have my book that came out through Focus on the Family. We have a weekly podcast. We have quarterly ebooks. We have events. We did a, a single parent retreat. We launched it. We tried it this year. And we had uh, single parents from seven states come to this camp. And it was just remarkable. But the purpose is really um, bringing single parents together so they can process life together and find the opportunity in their brokenness to see what God can do, not only in their life, but in the community of other single parents. And it's been incredible, not just, you know, our podcast has grown to 45,000 listeners, um, and we're in 16 states now with the, the groups, but the endeavor, the, the focus for us is for single parents to find wholeness, and not in a symptomatic, like treat the symptoms, but actually find, as I did, the transformational power of Jesus Christ. That's great. We actually have a, a little video that maybe we'll show. It'll give you a little bit of a, a description or a background on uh, what the Solo Parent Society. So let's watch that, and then I'm sure you can add some things to it. I can still remember the moment that I realized she was gone. I, I remember the realization that I was now going to have to raise my three girls on my own. That overwhelming sense that I was alone and that a new normal had begun. I had to become both parents when the truth is I felt like less than one. My life was now solo. Every single day is a juggling act. All the responsibilities and playing the roles of two parents. It's not a matter of not dropping any of the balls that are constantly up in the air. It's a matter of which one I'll miss today. Most often, it's the one with me written on it that gets dropped. How we got here, it really doesn't matter. Because here we are, feeling alone. Lonely. Exhausted. Afraid. Uncertain. Overwhelmed. Carrying shame. Struggling with guilt. Trying to carry the load of two parents. Not knowing where we fit. Not knowing how or if we can even begin again. Every day of every year, millions of solo parents wake up to this reality. 
In fact, according to the U.S. Census, there are 14 million single parents in the United States today, and those parents are responsible for raising 22 million children. Scripture teaches that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. I believe that those 14 million parents and those 22 million kids, they're included in our modern-day widows and orphans. An estimated 67% of single parents in the U.S. don't attend church. Research tells us that the top three reasons are fear that they'll be judged, carrying shame from their past mistakes, and they don't feel like they belong anywhere, much less in church. Solo Parent Society was created to build a bridge between these fractured homes and the church. It's all about the parent, knowing that great parenting will come as a byproduct of a healthy mom or dad. My book, podcast, TV, website, and now Solo Parent Life Groups are all about belonging, beginning to heal, sharing each other's burdens walking with others that have been through or are still in this season of life. Solo Parent Society is an outreach to those that have been marginalized, that feel alone. It's not about fixing these parents. It's about walking with them on this very difficult and lonely path. We must remind each other that God's most powerful work happens in broken places. So share a little bit um, what you've experienced. I know you actually um, provide a solo parent society Facebook that we're yeah. going to do at Hillside and b- how that has built community, what you've learned. So much of what we've done is just facilitate people coming together. Um, the church is called to do that, to do life together. And so uh, solo parent society is an opportunity for churches to provide an outreach to their community and a safe place for single parents to, to find each other. Um, and find God. And so one of the ways we do that is by the support groups. Um, another way is we provide a, a Facebook closed group for uh, single parents in the, in the area. Like for this, this one will be Hillside. Uh, and that's a group where they can interact with each other, share each other's burdens. They can, you know, my car's broken down. Anybody know a good repair person? And it's been incredible watching the, the groups that exist around the country because I have the advantage of watching all of them. Like, we're going to meet here on this Wednesday. I really heard what so-and-so said, and that really inspired me. I'm moving this weekend. Can somebody help? How these parents just come together, it's, it's been incredible. And I think it's a testament to, to what God wants to do. I mean, it's the model of the church is to do life with each other. And so I'm so excited that it's launching here. I met with the leadership team last night, just such great individuals that really care about this. And I, I know that you're going to see in your community not only provide a, a really important Outreach, but be enriched in the process of doing that. Because you were sharing in your church, at least when you introduced it, 30% of the people yeah. that attended the solo parent weren't even part of the church. They weren't part of the church. Yeah, 30% of the people that came to our solo parent group never attended church, never walked inside the sanctuary. Yeah. And so it's, it's a real outreach to, to the community. So just continuing your story, um, you have remarried now. You, you raised your daughters eight and a half years? Eight and a half years, yep. By yourself, and then now have remarried, so how's I'm, that? I'm remarried. I, I met a woman, and she had three boys. I had three it's girls. kind of a Brady Bunch type thing. Just yes, very switched. much. Um, in fact, I, you know, the day before we got married, the real-life Alice died, and I'm like, uh-oh, this is not a good sign. We're going <laughs> to yeah. need your help, Alice. 
Um, fortunately, Mike the Butcher, I think he's still around. So, yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we've been married now five years. My wife, Barbara, she had the three boys. And it's so interesting how God works. You know, their stair step, my oldest, and then her eldest, and then my middle, then her middle, my youngest, and her youngest. Because your oldest now is 22? Is 22, yeah. And the youngest that we have at home now is 16. Wow. We have two still at home. Interesting. Our middle kids, my daughter's name is Skylar. Her son's name is Kyler. Well, that's confusing. It's crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's really amazing. So that's, that's the next book, though, figuring that's, out the blended family. That's neat. That's yeah. neat. Well, I know and then you're working on a second book on blended families, yeah. which you're experiencing right now. That's, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's its own challenge, but it's beautiful. Again, God redeems and restores things that are, like, beyond us. I mean, and that's yeah. the point. It's, I learned that God is our provider when he talks about Abraham and Isaac and God, there was a ram in the bush. The first time that they mentioned Jehovah Jireh, to me that used to be that like necessities. God provides necessities. I don't think that's what it was, what it was about. I mean, that too, but for me, what really appeared to be a lifesaver was God provided a way through. He had the foresight to know what we're dealing with, whether it be a blended family or a divorced family. And he provides what we need when we need it, and he's faithful to do that. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you being here this I'm weekend. And, here. and um, you know, um, just wanted to share a little bit about our plans for this. Um, so we're going to begin this Wednesday nights, um, September 4th, right after Labor Day. And so, you know, we're going to introduce this, uh, and there's two books that you get when you become a part of the Solo Parent Society, Robert's books, and, and then also this journaling book that takes you through the 13 weeks uh, of that time. And um, so we're going to start that September 4th. So I want to encourage you, if you're a solo parent today, um, we'd really love for you to, to get signed up today and be a part of this. And I know some of you are here because we have our backpack blessing after this service, uh, but really would encourage you to get involved Wednesday nights. Um, what's nice is um, just today, we're going to give you this book if you sign up today, and that reduces the cost to get into the, the Solo Parent Society to like $10. Um, it's been neat. Our children's pastor, our children's ministry, um, we, he's worked, uh, Jason and their staffs worked things out. So, because we can get your kids involved uh, and get, get your kids signed up for Wednesday night. Usually that's $30 for all the materials for kids' life and cubbies and child care. Well, Jason's worked it out that we can give that to solo parents on Wednesday night for like $10. So, because um, we know and we believe in it's something about building community and getting closer to each other and closer to God. So I want you to uh, uh, encourage you if you're a solo parent. I wanted to introduce our lead team because I think God has orchestrated that with some quality people that have gone and gone through some of this. Um, there's six people that are involved. Where's Kelly Leach? If you guys would, would you guys all stand? This is Kelly Leach. She's, um, she's been at Hillside since the beginning of Hillside. And so she's raised eight children as a single mom, has been involved already in our, in our uh, single parent ministry, but taken a big role in this ministry. Beside her is Rita Sumpner. Rita uh, raised four children as a single parent, 23 years, now as a single grandparent, and raising her uh, two-year-old uh, granddaughter. So that's just amazing. Kim Morgan is right there beside her. Kim lost her husband. Uh, passed away about three years ago. And so um, I just can remember going to her home. She's pregnant and lost her husband. And um, now it's been five years, three, five years later, three years later. And, um, you know, she has a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. And just can add that 
um, part of, a, of the solo parent ministry is just pretty phenomenal. Rebecca Luttrell has been hillside 21, uh, 21 years, um, has a 22, a 15-year-old, and I think a 9-year-old, 10-year-old, I'm sorry, I get, uh, but, to, you know, she's been involved in our hope groups, been involved in Celebrate Recovery, so to have her, Jason Spooner, going to lead a guy's table, um, Jason, been here for 13 years, all his kids, um, you know, he has an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old that have gone through our children's ministry, student ministry, but wants to lead a, a guy's table uh, for this solo parent, and then Lori Covington, Lori is fairly new to our church, but I took her and Ben, her husband, out to lunch, because I heard they were really loved missions involved, and I found out Lori raised three for 10, three kids at a, as a single mom for 10 years. Um, and so having her perspective and what she can share in it is really phenomenal. So um, I'm gonna like, uh, let, excuse you guys and you guys can go back. Um, we're gonna have folks back at the Connect area, these folks and others that can help you if you're here today and say, I, this is something that would be really good for me. And they can get you signed up today and get you Robert's book. Um, here's something I wanna say to you guys that are non-solo parents. Um, you know, there's a real opportunity to minister this group. You could be like Lori that are now remarried, but you feel like I went through a time in my life where I could really help and, and maybe uh, take a, an apprentice leader role in one of these groups on Wednesday night. Pray about that. Also, I know we go through Go Serve in that class and talk about spiritual gifts, and a lot of people go through those classes that have the gift of mercy and helps, but they're looking for a place. They say, I can't teach. I don't really want to be with kids. I mean, I, I just, but I can fix stuff. And uh, maybe that's you, and you could be someone that would be a resource um, to help solo parents. Uh, we got to have you go through a background check, all that mess. But um, we'd love to have you think about being able to minister to solo parents. So if that's something you would be um, interested in doing, you can go back to the Connect area and let us know that. Also, just as, as Robert shared, um, you come across single parents all the time. Um, I shared this story first service about... Um, Two or three months ago, I'm at Main Street Cafe. If you know David Newcomb and Bonnie, you know David, the big guy that reads scripture sometime. And, you know, David talks to everybody about Jesus. I mean, he just does. So we're getting ready to pray for our, our lunch. And, and uh, here our waitress comes over and David says, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. Is there anything we could pray for you for? And this waitress just began to weep. She said, you wouldn't realize, oh, I'm going through. I'm a single parent, and I have just stuff going on with my kids. And so we run and have that interaction all the time in our society, in our opportunity. So I just encourage you that maybe today you want to go buy this book for someone else and grab a little card that has information about the Solo Parent Society on Wednesday night, and this week go buy one and give it to someone and say, hey, we're starting this thing on Wednesday night that maybe would really minister to you. And it'd be a good opportunity because we all know them. They come across our path all the time. And it might be a way God's leading you to minister to this, these folks, this great part of our society. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to ask Robert to maybe pray over us and pray over yeah. the single parents if you would. I'd love to. Thank you. I love the heart. Did I just knock this off? Um, I just love the heart of this church to reach out to the community, and I want to encourage those of you that are not single parents, like Dave said, I promise you, you know someone. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone in the next cubicle. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe it's a son or daughter, but there's someone that you know that's a single parent, and as single parents, we don't reach out for help because we already feel ashamed. We feel like we're broken, 
and, and it's hard to take the first step to say, I need help. But I'm telling you, these parents are going through a lot. And statistics tell you that the tragic results are, are, are a result of them not having the support that they need. So find a single parent that you know. Give them a copy of the book. Or just tell them, like, the story of Hagar when she's out, she's been kicked out. She's, in the, she's one of the first single moms in the Bible. She cries out to God. The first thing God says to her is, I see you. So we wear these race, bracelets to say, I see you. It starts there by letting a single parent know that you see them, not in a I feel so bad for you way, obviously have empathy and sympathy, but in an honoring way. You are carrying a load that I admire so much, and I just want to let you know I'm here if you need anything. The simple things that make a big difference, but thank you for letting me be here. Let me, let me close in prayer. Father, you know every heart in here. You know all the relationships in here. For those of us that are fortunate to, to be married, Father, I ask that you would bring a solo parent to mind that you are calling us to reach to. Make that crystal clear, the person in our life that needs to hear, I see you and I honor you. Give us the words, give us the wisdom on how to, to do that, but Father, please don't let us walk through another week not acknowledging and not reaching out to these beautiful families. And for the solo parents in the room, Lord, I pray that you would just meet them where they're at, that you would be God, the provider of all things, the things financially, spiritually, emotionally that we need, that you are faithful, you are our father. And before you formed that person, you thought that they would be best to raise the kids that they're raising. And so give them the encouragement that they need to know that they are right where they need to be. And even though sometimes they feel they are not enough, you say they are enough. Fill them with your spirit. Give us all the discipline to spend time getting to know you, being still and knowing that you're God. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers that cares about their community. And I ask your richest blessing on the efforts of Hillside as they reach single parents in this community. We're grateful for your love for us. We thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.